Mike, I think it's working. <laughs> well, um, as always, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to fill in for Phil when he's out of town. He's, I don't know where he is. Anybody know? <laughs> I should know. I've conversed with him this week via email, but I forgot to ask him where he was. So. I think Indianapolis, maybe. Yeah, probably not, though. Um, he goes to those church conferences, and those folks haven't learned how to have conferences in Miami. You know, they have them in Chicago and places like that. <laughs> um, well, again, good morning to you. And let me just say, uh, on a personal note, I really do appreciate um, your generosity. I, I um, When I came up to the mic a few weeks ago to say thank you just briefly when Phil was getting ready to speak, I... Um, I wasn't able to attend the party, as many of you know, and um, Tanya had given me the envelope, and um, so I, I opened it quickly, and and I, I saw that it was a card, and, and I opened it and, and saw there was a check in there, and uh, I didn't look at the amount. So when I came to the mic and I said, thank you, I didn't realize how much I needed to thank you because that check was big. <laughs> so let me just reiterate again. I told Molly, I asked Molly if there was a mistake <laughs> because... Um, that was just a very generous gift, and I, I just, again, I thank you so much for it, and um, just really appreciate your generosity, and uh, this class just continues to amaze me, not just with things like that, but with hospitality and with care for one another, and just uh, the way you reach out and visit people and take care of those who are sick among us, and it's just, a, it's, a, it's amazing. I'm thankful to be a part of, of uh, this Sunday School class. So again, uh, many thanks to you. Well, let's begin today. I want to take you to um, a scene in a maternity ward of a hospital. A scene where a young woman is about to give birth, and she is accompanied by her husband and her mother-in-law, and of course the physician is in the room. So, kind of imagine that for a moment. Um, <laughs> the young woman is, is in a lot of pain because, of course, uh, labor pain is... Um, well, as many of you know, so it can be horrendous. Um, so she's crying out in, uh, in a lot of pain. The baby is close to being born, and the husband and the mother-in-law and the doctor are all uh, talking with her. And the husband says to his wife, I know you are in a lot of pain, but I've just had this headache all morning, and I, I'm going to go over here and just lay down for a minute. And the mother-in-law says, you know... You're so lucky, because back when I gave birth years ago, they didn't have all this technology. They didn't have all this, uh, these things to help you with pain and to manage the situation here. Uh, and she just goes on and on about talking about the past. And then the physician steps up and says, uh, Sorry, hun, I don't believe in giving any pain medication to women in labor. It looks like we're going to be here for a while, so I'm going to go get a quick round of golf. Uh, I'll be back in a little while. <laughs> okay, none of this is true, right? Nobody ever does such things. But um, uh, yeah, so I think everybody knows how to uh, evaluate this this uh, scene. Um, I actually shared this with a group of Milligan College students, and I had to stop and say, now just in case. For the two or three of you in the audience who don't know, all of those things that I said are really inappropriate. <laughs> don't ever do that. <laughs> but of course, in a, in a group like this, you all you know have the you know the requisite maturity to know such things are, are terrible to say to someone uh, who is about to give birth. So it's clear, right, that all three of these people are saying things that are insensitive and inappropriate, and they're totally misreading the situation. And so think about that because I want to read a text from the Old Testament 
where something similar happens. It's not quite the same, but it's something similar. So let's, um, let's take a look at this story. It's the story of uh, Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, um, I'll be reading most of that chapter. And uh, we'll see that there's some interesting uh, you know, points of contact here with uh, yeah, this situation in the maternity war. So let's read. Uh, again, 1 Samuel 1, uh, verses 1 to 8. There was a certain man from uh, Ramathayim, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, the Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other one was called Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests to the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to uh, sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and uh, and because the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Uh, The last verse there is kind of telling, isn't it? (laughs) Um, His response to her. Well, uh, and I think we might add that to the, uh, the illustration at the beginning. Again, not, not a good thing to say to someone in that situation, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Now, as we saw, Hannah is uh, the wife of, uh, of Elkanah, and he has two wives, and um, she can't have children. That's, that's a painful situation for anybody, right? But it's doubly painful in the ancient world because um, your kids are your 401k program. Right in the ancient world, no safety nets back then. So, if you don't have kids and you're female, especially, uh, you're really at risk because once the husband dies, you may or may not have any kind of you know resources for uh, being taken care of. So she's in a very precarious situation socially without having kids. So you can see how the the pain of not having a child is doubly problematic in the ancient world. Um, so uh, there's that. And then to top it off, she's being, you know, ridiculed by this rival wife. Uh, you know, another good reason why, thankfully, in, in God's wisdom, they got rid of that, right? We don't need uh, marriages that have two wives, three wives, whatever. It's not a good idea, but uh, this is one of the reasons, right? Because there's this rivalry uh, that's between them, and she's making fun of her, apparently, for not being able to have kids. So on top of the pain and the social stigma of not having children, she's also being made fun of at home. So Hannah's in a really bad situation, isn't she? And everybody is, uh, you know, being somewhat insensitive. And again, I think that last line there uh, may be, um, I don't know, what, what do you think about this, uh, verse 8, where he says, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? <laughs> um, I think maybe the answer is no. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a touching, I don't know how you read that. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, just a... Uh, something I thought was interesting there. Okay, well, let's move on and read uh, the next few verses. We have to wait for the train. So let's take a little break. We'll be right back. <laughs> they used to say, after these messages, remember that? On TV, they say, after these messages, we'll be right back.
Okay, let's keep reading. Uh, Verses 9 to 11. Uh, Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Uh, And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will be ever used on his head. Okay, so they've they've gone back to Shiloh. This was something that they probably did every year because of the the requirements to uh, celebrate three festivals to the Lord. Remember the the three major festivals, and so they go to Shiloh, and Hannah goes, and of course this is again it's, it, it magnifies probably her predicament because of the portions that are given out. Remember from the first reading we said or we read that. Uh, when uh, the father would sacrifice, he would take the portions and divvy them up. And of course, Hannah gets a double portion, but she still, nevertheless, is. It's like at Christmas time, you know, all the kids open presents. If you don't have kids, that can be sort of painful, right? So that's probably what's going on here, too. She's, again, experiencing the pain of not having kids. So she goes before the Lord and uh, makes this vow and says, If you will give me a child, I will devote him to the Lord. And she seems to be invoking the Nazarite vow here for him. Uh, you maybe remember some of the characters from uh, the Old Testament who are Nazarites. They, uh, they don't cut their hair, and they, they don't drink beer or alcohol. Um, and In fact, they're not supposed to eat grapes. And they're not supposed to go near any dead bodies, those kind of things. So these are kind of the, uh, the Green Berets of Israelite faith. <laughs> if you wanted to make your life a little bit difficult you know, to, to honor God, uh, these were the early... Uh, you know, monks and nuns, I guess, in a sense, in, in Israel's tradition. So in any, in any case, she makes this vow for the child and says, if the child will grant me a child, I will devote him to the service of the Lord and um, uh, he will, uh, you know, he will serve there with uh, Eli at the, the Shiloh shrine. So um, that's what's going on here in um, uh, 9 to, to 11. And again, we see what she's pouring out her, her soul. And we're going to see in a minute she actually says that in the midst of this deep uh, pain and, uh, well, and strife that, that comes with uh, her predicament. So, okay, let's read a little further here and we'll get to the main point. Uh, 12 to uh, 20 is what I'm going to read next. She kept on praying to the Lord and Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning she arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Okay, so the story ends well. She ends up having a child. Um, But um, before we get to uh, the good news at the end, we see that it's not just um, her husband and it's not just Panina, the rival wife that is somewhat insensitive, but it's also uh, Eli, right? Um, he, he misreads the situation and 
um, he has made assumptions about her that um, you know that she's drunk, right? It's probably not a bad bet, actually, because we know at these festivals that it was a festive time of year. So it's not completely out of the ordinary that someone would be doing what, what, he, what, what he assumed she was doing. But in any case, he still, he still misreads uh, the situation, right? Now, um, so this story, uh, I think, helps us see that it's important to listen with a compassionate curiosity about things. Let's go back to the maternity ward for a minute. Um, Again, where the husband, the mother-in-law, and the physician are acting a little bit like Eli. They too are not really listening with a caring heart, are they? Um, The reason that we can sympathize with Hannah in a way that is different from Eli is because we know her story, right? Now, Eli doesn't know her story. But we, as readers, we know what she's gone through. We know that she's tried to have a child and cannot have a child. We know that she's being made fun of by Panina, the rival wife. We know that maybe the husband's being a little insensitive. And we know that her situation is just really abysmal in so many ways. We know that. And so as readers, we're able to sympathize. We're able to see the truth in a way that Eli cannot. But... The reason, uh, and, and the reason that's sort of like the maternity ward situation is that, again, we know the story, and we can imagine being in that situation, right? I mean, many of you here have experienced childbirth firsthand. So when I give that illustration, you have a vivid picture of this woman, and you immediately, I think immediately, sympathize with her, right? And for those of us who haven't experienced firsthand but maybe been present can also say, hey, this woman needs compassion. We should listen, you know, compassionately. Um, we can actually, we, and we can actually think about it abstractly as well. We can see, for example, a sister. You know, like if we see a woman who's in, in a maternity ward, we see that could be my sister, that could be my mother, that could be my, my child, right? It could be my daughter. And so we're able then to, to be sympathetic, even if we don't know the person. We can, we can be sympathetic to the situation because we know the story. Eli doesn't know the story, and uh, because of that, he makes a judgment without having, again, that compassionate heart, that caring heart. And um, uh, I think that that's um, you know, an important thing to, uh, to, to consider here. Um, let's, let's apply this to... Uh, I'm, I'm fumbling here a little bit because I think my notes are messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> My wife just corrected me. Ah, it's double-sided. <laughs> double-sided printing, you know, is a, it's a wonderful thing, except when you forget uh, that it's double-sided. I thought, wow, you know, I, I got the conclusion in front of me here, but it's, it's way too soon for that. Uh, okay, so let me back up just a little bit, please. <laughs> okay, let's go back to Eli just for a moment. <laughs> um, so why is this difficult for Eli? Well, Eli is a man of God, right? Um, he... He's supposed to be, later in the Bible, he's called the high priest here. 
And he seems to be functioning in that capacity. He is he's the leader. He's kind of like the spiritual leader of Israel. So how could he get this so wrong? And again, it goes back to the fact that he, he doesn't know her and he made a judgment. So I think that that's, that's an important um, uh, uh, thing to, to consider. Well, so I think the point of all this is uh, for us to, um, uh, it's a pretty straightforward message, right? It's basically don't do what Eli does here. Don't do what the, the husband, the insensitive husband and the mother-in-law and the physician and the maternity ward, don't, let's not be like that, right? Let's pay attention. Let's listen to people who are hurting. Let's listen carefully to anybody who's uh, in pain. Let's listen with a caring heart. Let's try to be compassionate in that context. And we should try not to say things that are unhelpful, right, in these contexts. Um, We shouldn't be self-centered. We shouldn't uh, make light of someone else's suffering just because we've we've suffered something similar, maybe, right? Or maybe if we have a headache, it doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's, It's relatively insignificant in comparison. So those kind of things, I think, are important. We shouldn't belittle people's pain just because you think you've been there and you've understood it and you um, uh, know what's going on. We shouldn't judge too quickly and assume certain things. Well, here's, here's the application part that I thought might be helpful for us as we start this new year. Uh, the, the Pope just came out with a statement that I thought was very interesting. He, he calls Christians everywhere to be artisans of goodness. Artisans of goodness. And I think one way we can do that is to learn something from this, this story. Um, I thought as we start the new year, it might be helpful that we think about lessons that we have learned from the old year that just passed. And I think it's safe to say that our country has moved uh, into a new arena, not seen in some time, where we're pretty divided, aren't we? Uh, Civil discourse is set aside, and there's a new kind of tribalism, it seems. I know we've all experienced this. I appreciate Joe's uh, prayer this morning. I mean, it's it's so spot on that... um, we're sort of in a situation where we're encouraged to avoid um, any serious reflection, any serious fact-checking or debate. Uh, we're discouraged from having discussions with people who have difference, differences of opinion. Um, we, we're avoiding healthy debate. And uh, we've simply, in some ways, become simple blind followers of whoever person is leading the tribe at the moment, whatever the tribe is, Right. Um, it seems that we're, we're pretty quick to judge, and I'm, I'm including myself in all of this, and pretty quick to, quick to dismiss any dissenting voices or anyone who would dare to disagree. Um, it's, the, the term that's being bandied around a bit is identity politics these days, you know, where um, we, we're encouraged to say something like, I stand with group X or person X, right or wrong. Right? <coughs> Or um, person X is a terrible, amoral jerk, but he is our terrible, amoral jerk. <laughs> right? I mean, there's a little bit of that going on. Um, not with anybody here in this audience, of course, right? I mean, uh, it's not true. Um, but if you're like me, you're influenced by such things, for sure. And we're sort of encouraged to sort of, you know, have some tribal loyalty apart from any kind of, you know, discussion. And I'm not up here advocating any political stance, left or right, but I simply want to challenge all of us, myself included, with some biblical invocations that have deep roots within Christian practice. And when we look at Hannah, you know, I think that that's, this is a good story for us to, uh, to see. Because again, when we see Hannah, we know 
we know her background. And it's easy, I think, I find myself doing this myself, my own self when I look in the mirror, that I judge too quickly with someone that I disagree with and I'm not listening with a caring heart, with a compassionate sensitivity. I'm not listening. And, um, and so I think that uh, in the midst of you know, what we've seen in the last year or so, this is a good lesson to carry with us today. Um, we have to try to understand people with whom we disagree or people with whom we're just making a judgment about, right? And I think that that's, uh, again, an important, um, important um, point to be made. Um, when we don't have compassionate curiosity, it's easy to, to get the situation wrong, to misjudge people, and to uh, assume, assume the worst, right? I mean, Phil said that a number of times in here. I think he's absolutely right. It's easy when you have a disagreement with people. It's easy to assume the worst about them. You know, not only are they wrong about this particular policy that affects me at my work or whatever, um, we kind of demonize them, right? It's easy to, to make them look even worse so that we feel good about our disagreement. And again, I just think that it's not, uh, it's not really what the, the Christian tradition is about. So, yeah, again, going back to the maternity ward, if we, if we look at that situation and we see with a, a level of empathy... And we see with uh, the kind of compassionate heart that um, that can inform us, whereby we see that person as someone we love, that we have some sort of connection to, then we're able to uh, sympathize uh, much more readily. Okay, let me stop there and see if you have questions about the Hannah story or anything else. I do have more things to say, but I'll stop here and see if you have questions. Yes. And I'll, I'll remind me to repeat so that we everybody can hear. So the focal point of the lesson seems to be don't judge. We're all guilty of it at one point or another, probably because of our own biases and experiences. So what does Jesus say, or can you think of any, uh, any readings from the New Testament mm-hmm. that comes from Christ that says, please don't judge? Yeah, sure. And in fact, the, uh, so the question is, how do we make sense of all this? If the call is don't judge, how do we make sense of this in light of um, uh, there are places in the old, in the New Testament too where Jesus comes along and says, judge not lest you be judged, right? In the old King James parlance there. Um, I think it's a good point that um, I think it's important that we all judge. And in fact, there are other places in the gospel where it does say judge. <laughs> So he gives his disciples orders to judge. So people have pointed out a little bit of inconsistency there. I don't think there's any inconsistency there. I think the idea is that what Jesus is saying is don't, when he says don't judge, he's saying don't condemn. Don't write someone off. Uh, lest you be written off. Lest you be condemned. I think that's a better way to understand that. But when he tells his disciples be discerning, you know, judge. Be shrewd as uh, snakes and gentle as doves. Um... I think the point there is that we all are, are in life adjudicating, right? I mean, we all have to make decisions. Um, some of you are in leadership positions. You have to make decisions on a daily basis that affect many lives. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We have to make judgments. But um, I think the point that, that I would want to raise here and what I want to raise with uh, the situation here with Hannah is that that judgment needs to be informed. And we shouldn't assume uh, the worst about people when we have to make those judgments. And, um, you know, Eli is a priest. He has to, uh, 
He has to make sure drunk people don't come into the shrine sanctuary and, you know, make a mess of things. So he's got to make a judgment. Well, he made a judgment here. But it seems as though he made a judgment without, without knowing, right? Without making the, what I would call, you know, the requisite research. You know, he needed to look into the situation. So um, that's how, I mean, does that help? Does that make sense? Or? Very much so. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I just think that that's... that's and, and so the, the onus really is on all of us to... Uh, I mean, this is what we want all judges to do, right? We want all judges, we want all police officers, we want all teachers, we want all coaches to be informed when they make a decision. If you're going to bench a player, have a reason. If you're going to fire somebody, have a reason. If you're going to discipline someone at work, have a reason. If you're going to um, be lenient with the law, you know, if you're a police officer or a judge... Have a reason, you know. We've got to, we've got work to do. We have to know, right? Um, so I think it's it's working at a personal level. It's also working at a professional level where we have to we have to be, um, you know, we have to have computer, curious compassion. I think is what how I would word it. Okay. As a pastor and having some experience in this, pastors are frequently confronted with that line don't judge mm. and and yet in in many instances and in many different ways judgments have to be made mm-hmm. and the, the emphasis on making an informed judgment is always <clears throat> critical and one of the things that I've dealt with is that a quick judgment need not be a wrong judgment if it's well informed. Mm-hmm. If you have a history of dealing with yes. those things or if you've got time with that right. person, oftentimes you can make a quick judgment that is still well informed. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Let me just try to sum up what you said. So Dave says that um, a lot of times, as a former pastor, he's has been a situation where you have to make judgments, sometimes rather quickly. And uh, the hope is, is that we, when we have to make judgments like that, if it has to be done quickly, that there is a history that you know. Um, this happens with me. <laughs> um, professors have to do this all the time. Um, so a student comes to me and says, you know, I need an extension. Um, I'm probably not always fair when I give extensions. Because I do give extensions, but not very rarely. And I've actually put in the syllabus, I don't give extensions. <laughs> so, but I actually do. But um, I guess there's ethics of lying here, right? I mean, that's not so nice. So maybe I need to repent this morning. Uh, judgment is a tricky thing, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I, I like to think that there are times when a student would come to my office and say, I need an extension, and it would take me about 10 seconds to say no or yes, because I know the situation. And I know most of my students, I know what's going on in their lives because we have a small enough student body where it's pretty easy to know. You know who's who's having trouble at home, or um, you know for whatever reason that, that students need extensions. And so, yeah, I like to think that I, yeah, I have a compassionate curiosity when students come to my office. But you're right; sometimes that curiosity doesn't last very long because I know the I know the history. So, and we're all in situations like that. So, uh, it's a really good. It's a good point. Yeah, we don't have time for one more. If you have another another question, what was the uh, term that the book used? Yeah, um, he said that he, he calls all Christians to be um, artisans of goodness. Yeah. 
I think I'm quoting it right. I read this in the paper this morning. So, um, yeah, look that up. That was his, uh, it was, I think it was Christmas speech or maybe New Year's address that he gave. But, yeah, this is one, one way to do it, isn't it, um, to, uh, uh, to, to walk this out um, in our lives. Well, um, when we don't see the world this way, uh, when the, the, the person that we're uh, making a judgment about uh, when we do that too quickly, like Eli, I think we end up sort of making things worse in the world. We end up not being salt and light. We don't end up being that which preserves and that which makes the world good. We're not artisans of goodness in that respect. Um, but having that compassion, I think, can uh, can really make a, a big difference so that we don't, we don't end up uh, doing things that we're that we don't, we, we end up doing things that we don't really believe, right? We don't, I don't think anybody here wants to go out of here and say, I don't want to be a person of compassion. I don't want to be a, a person who uh, makes a snap judgment that, that gets it wrong. I mean, all of us here, I think, are committed to, um, you know, making the world a better place, being compassionate, and, and living that out. We don't want to be, um, you know, people that, that lack that kind of understanding. Well, in the context of identity politics, uh, we ignore, if we ignore the discourse that can inform and explain, we simply seek out the victory of whatever party or whatever group or whatever constituency um, in a sort of tr- primitive tribalism, that's what we end up doing. We end up being just a part of that. And um, that's just not the kind of people we want to be, is it? I mean, Paul says it best in, in Philippians. Don't act out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, put the concerns of others above yourself. And that's good advice for the, for the new year. Let me read that one more time. This is Philippians 2.3. Don't act out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, put the concerns of others above yourself. It's a, deep, it's a deeply Christian conviction. You know, a long history of, of Christians doing that. Not always perfectly, right? But that's what we say we believe. That's the kind of people we want to be. That's the kind of compassion that we want to bring to the world. So my, uh, my call today for us in the new year to be that, uh, those artisans of goodness, let's commit in this new year to be better listeners, to have a compassionate curiosity about people. And let's listen carefully to people who have a different perspective, a perspective that might be rooted in pain and hurt. Because that may be that that may be true, right? In a lot of cases, a lot of people do things because they're doing it out of a context of pain and hurt. And when we can see that pain and hurt, we might be able to understand why they think the way they think, why they do the things they do. So let's listen carefully to people who have a different perspective. Let's partner with God in the great work of reconciliation and restoration. Participate in the world that is being made new, building bridges with others. Forging connections with those who may appear different from us or have a different opinion or do things differently. Let's patiently and compassionately listen to each other. Let's cultivate a care and concern for others this year in a way that we may have not done before. And I stand before you as one who needs to hear this probably more than anybody. So um, know that I am speaking directly to myself in this regard. Listening and not judging is, uh, doesn't come easy. Um, but that's the person I want to be and I want to be a person of compassion I want to be a person who listens 
And uh, hopefully 2018, uh, we'll all do better for God's glory. Let's pray. God, we pray that you will bless us uh, in this coming year uh, with eyes to see and ears to hear people who are suffering and hurting. And I pray that, Lord, we, as, we, as we judge, and we do have to judge from time to time, I pray that you will give us the insight to uh, judge as we should, uh, to see things as we should, and to, uh, to extend that passion, compassion that you have for us uh, to all people around us. So give us those opportunities this week, and um, we thank you for shaping us into who we need to be, and we pray that you will do that each day. So bless us today. Bless those who are hurting, and uh, we know a number of, of people in our, our midst are, are sick, and we pray that you will uh, bring healing to them and comfort and uh, blessings to them in this new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.